joined by on our live stream last Sunday, all four services. Brad did a good job on both of them, Brother Bruce Brown was good, enjoyed the message, and uh, it's good to just kind of connect in some way, even though we're like 1,300 miles away, we didn't feel like it last week, and uh, it's good to want to worship with you and Boy, three days into a brand new year, it is good to be back. Uh, we were all too ready to say farewell to 2020. What a what a year that has been. A year of uh, the pandemic, um, limitations, all kind of rules, protocols, sadness, fear, stress, things that family, you know, I've really felt, really felt for parents that have school-aged children and the difficulty they had just balancing everything and also trying to stay away from this virus. Um, it's been a tough year, and uh, it's claimed people close to us. Brother Leon uh, still doesn't seem like he ought to be gone. You know, Tennessee is going to be destroyed. Just, uh, we just have to face things that we've never faced. seen anything like this and uh, never seen an election year like this um, I can't even fathom anything that came close to it and uh, I've always enjoyed you know voting but what has been that kind of joy this year <laughs> I don't know how you describe it but um, 2021 what is this year going to be about I saw where someone says one word and of course, I saw it on Facebook, and that's where you see stuff on Facebook. What is your one word for the coming year? This was a few weeks ago or somebody, I guess, trying to get a jump start on 2021, and I thought, what is a word that I can come up with? So uh, I, I, I'm preaching on this morning, 2021, the year of, and a blank. <clears throat> I'm going to fill in the blank here in just a moment, but really and truly that blank is yet to be determined and no matter what we do or what we say 2021 is going to be 2021 regardless i've had people say it both ways i saw where someone talked about how bad 2020 is going to be and then they turn right around and say but it's not going to be as bad as this year i said well thank you very much i need that encouragement that 2021 is going to be worse than the year before. And then I I got this uh, video prophecy that someone sent me, and uh, I guess it was to anyone, anybody who tuned in to it. But it was telling me that this is going to be the greatest year I've ever had. And that the worst is behind me and the best is in front of me. I don't know. I've, I've had some pretty good years. But it doesn't really matter what anybody prophesies over you because they don't know. They don't know what kind of year it's going to be. Neither did we know what kind of year 2020 was going to be when we started off last year. We had no idea, not even uh, anything close in our mind when we were saying Happy New Year that we knew what was going to be happening. So what will... 2021 be like can we conclude 
just come to an agreement that whatever happens this year, the vast majority of it is going to be outside of our control. And I've all I heard this a long time ago, and I've even said this to people who have been stressed out about something. I said, take a sheet of paper, draw a line right down the middle of it, and at the left-hand side, the things I have control over, things I don't have control over, and that left side is what we should focus on. Because the things that we don't have control over, we can just work ourselves up into a frenzy, and we can't change any of it by doing that. So the parameters that are outside of our control, I think the question for us is, what are we, how are we going to approach this year? What are we going to focus on regardless of what happens? Well, this is where I'm going to fill in the blank for you because I feel really compelled. I, I even went over some of my, um, my messages, my sermons that uh, I preached at the start of certain years, 2005, 2006. And, and sometimes I scratch my head and say, like, what was I thinking? I guess that's the, you know, 2020 is hindsight. Well, it is hindsight now, isn't it, 2020? But um, I, I looked at some of that, and I said, you know, wow, did I really preach that? And others, I was like, well, that was pretty good. But I've kept every sermon that I've ever preached. Now, it's not in written, good written format, but I'm definitely going to try to do all of that. But as I was looking here, I said, what could we focus on? And here's what I'm going to focus on. The reality is this, that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. And his resurrection shortly after that is a historical fact. And some people would challenge that. But how do you factually substantiate anything in history? You go to the source. It's kind of like a, a young man walked into my office. This has been probably 20 years ago, battling drug addiction, and he, he just was always in a quandary about his life. And, and he said, I don't believe in God because I don't see him. I, I, don't, I don't have any reference as to why is he real. You can't see him. You can't feel him. You can't do any of that. And I don't know. It just jumped in my mind. I don't even know if it was the Lord or me or whatever, but I said, would who was the first president of the United States? And he said, well, George Washington. And I said, how do you know that? And because there's books about it. I said, well, how do you know the books are true? He said, well, there's pictures of him. How do you know that's a picture of him? Have you seen him? Have you talked to him? Can you say without any doubt that that is who it is based on how you feel and what you see? I said, you're having to depend on people who have a source that was close to him. And yes, I believe all of that is true, but the Bible is a source. And the Bible points us to the crucifixion of Jesus and to his resurrection. And let's just, let's just not say anything about the effect of that in our lives, but the witnesses, the witnesses that give tribute to that and give credence to that say the crucifixion. So when you fill in that line, I think that this year ought to be a year that we really focus in, why not every day, every year, focus on the centrality of the cross Christ. I'm going to take you to a number of verses this morning because it's more about the songs we sing and the hymns we sing. You know, I grew up singing hymns. I love worship songs and praise songs and, and new songs. But there's something about the old rugged cross. There's something about Jesus, keep me near the cross. And then the song, in the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. 
centralized in our lives the cross that we used to. Right? We used to focus on that. We used to focus on his death and resurrection. In fact, friends, that is where eternal life begins. That's where transformational living rests is in the death and resurrection of Christ. Here's, I'm going to give you some five points about this, and, and I do have a pretty good homily for you today, uh, homiletically good, because there's going to be points today. How's that? Not always been doing that, but here it goes. It's the, point, the first point is this. The cross is the ultimate display of humility. Why do we say that? You have to, there's some great verses we're going to today, verses that I've, I've always loved to read through and read through and research every single word, just pour myself into it. And Philippians chapter 2 has, has got to be one of the great chapters about this. Colossians 2, we're going there. How can you not beat Colossians 2? I don't know. Colossians, Philippians, I just love Galatians. We're going to go to Galatians. We're going to go to Hebrews. Are you ready? Okay, here's the first passage I'm going to take you to. It's Philippians chapter 2. And we should not go too far from the truth of what we are reading here. I'm going to pick this up in verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same attitude, I think is have some translations. Have the same mindset as Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. The King James says, did not think uh, it was be robbery being equal with God, something to hold on to. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Think about that. He caused humility within himself. It says he humbled himself. He suppressed any usage of those divine attributes. He, he chose not to employ any of them, but he humbled himself. I want to tell you, he was not humbled by the beating he took, by the roughness that was they handled him with by spitting on him, by beating him, whipping him, by his friends and everybody around him betraying him. He wasn't humbled by that. He was focused more on his own humility. He was humbling himself. The cross was his goal. This was his passion. He was not going to let anybody stand in the way of him getting to the cross. Even though in the Garden of Gethsemane, he poured out his heart to God. Feeling the pressure of all of that, he said, if there's any other way, if there's any other way for this cup to pass for me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He said this in John chapter 3, he says, I've come to do not my will, but I've come to do the will of the Father. This means he humbled himself, suppressed what he had, these urges within him, so that he would go on to the cross. You see, pride never entered into the life of Christ. He never saw things from his perspective. He always saw things from the Father's perspective. How much better would we live our lives if we learned to suppress what we want 
in preference of what he wants. And he said this, he wrote this to the people in Philippi saying, you know, this was the Lord's mindset, this was his attitude, and, and you ought to try to kind of tap into that. Mean that we suppress, through the cross, we're able to suppress what we want in preference of what he wants. Here's the second point, and it comes from the same passage. But the cross is the greatest example of obedience that you'll ever read. And it's in that verse 8. <clears throat> Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Death on the cross was the absolute worst. I could go on and on, and we the, the passion of the cross probably captured. I always felt like that the beautiful pictures of Jesus hanging on the cross with a little cut across his chest and, and a nice, pretty crown of thorns and everything else about him was perfect. Have you seen those pictures? That couldn't have been, not the beating he took. And maybe, I don't know if the Passion of the Christ went too far, but I, I believe it was a lot closer than other things we see. And he knew what was coming with that. He possibly he had seen people crucified in public execution and he witnessed what he was facing but he he became obedient to that the greatest example of obedience no one or nothing could keep him from the cross now what did actually what actually died there in the process was he gave way his death was also a death to his own determination his self-determination he suppressed all of that in order to become obedient to death, even death on the cross. We've seen Jesus keep me near the cross. It's a way of saying, Jesus, help me to suppress my own self-determination. Help me to suppress my own desire to do it my way instead of your way. Obedience to the death of the cross is the third point. This is in Colossians chapter 2. I love this passage. The cross is the absolute cancellation of our debt. Think about that. <clears throat> How good does it feel when you pay something off? That last car payment, come on now. If you can't get happy over that, I don't know what's going to make you happy. But listen to what he describes in Colossians 2. In verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. Think about that. In Christ everything, the fullness of God dwells in you. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. He's talking about that sin nature that we have. Having been buried with him in baptism, which is really good for water baptism, it's a picture of salvation, that you're buried with Christ and you're raised with Christ. But in baptism, with, in, buried in his baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave us all our sins. And having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, 
He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I'm telling you, that last verse is a powerful verse because it captures really what happened on the cross. Somewhere in my old sermons is a message that I titled, Who Was Killing Who on the Cross? Because it looked from our visual standpoint that they were killing Jesus. In fact, there's a guy who's written a bunch of books called Killing, you probably know who I'm talking about, and Killing Jesus is one of his books. In reality, no one killed him. He gave his life. He even said, no man takes my life from me. He endured, physically endured, that that would have probably cost most people their death. He pushed off death until it was ready for him to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The spikes that hammered his hands and his feet. And we know quite possibly those spikes went through the bottom part of his hand and the upper part of his wrist in order to hold it. But he was also hammering away on the cross. I love this, that he took all of our indebtedness, all of our bills that we owe God, and nailed them to the cross with PIF on it. Paid in full. Now, who was triumphing over who on the cross? Jesus was bringing victory for us because he didn't just pay for your sins from this day backwards. He paid for your sins, your total sins, even tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. The whole totality of our life, the entire life that we live, he paid for our indebtedness ahead of time. How good is that? He paid for the debt of all of those behind him, but all of those in front of him. Jesus, our Lord, destroyed the powers that causes us to be under this weight of guilt and shame. And probably those are the things that the enemy uses the most on people of God. Even after we come to the Lord, he, he tries to impose this, this guilt and shame on us when all of that's been canceled. All of that's been removed, triumphingly over the cross. Our focus, our focus today and the rest of our lives should really at some point focus on the cross and the resurrection that this is what makes us who we are. This is what makes us believers. It's not that we signed a card and we said, I filled out a card, I accept Jesus. It's that we've experienced it. He's come into our lives. Here's the fourth one. This is in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians, oh, what a great book, right? Really deals with, <laughs> with Galatians 6 of all places. I'm telling you, chapter 4, 5, and 6 in Galatians, you just got to hang in there with it because he addresses so much stuff. I have a lot of scripture this morning. And at my age, I think I'll try to get in everything I can while I can because I've preached most of my messages already. But here it goes. This is Galatians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 12. Those who want to impress people, <laughs> as I read this, I just have things in my mind that, but okay, I'll just let you go. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh 
are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Think about that. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to take any kind of delight, it ought not be what we can achieve or what other people make us think we ought to achieve. It's what happened on the cross. May I never, this is Paul right? may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You can say, yes, Lord, that's a truth for me. I need to be crucified to this world and the world crucified to me. I need to be free from expectations of other people. Am I getting close to home for somebody here? Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation, and the new creation comes out of the cross and the resurrection. One of the great traps that we deal with is our need, our search for approval. Amen. We have become so fragile in in the social media age we live in that people's feelings get hurt so easily. If they post something on Facebook and you don't like it, then you don't like them. People have lost friendships over stuff like that. Won't talk to each other. We've become so babyish in our lives sometimes that we can't handle anything that seems to be like disapproval. And this is what the cross will do for us. The cross will free us from our search for approval. Because the only approval we need is the the approval we get from the Lord. That he died for us, he was raised for us, and he receives us. We don't have to measure up to anything but just believe. Sometimes we have such a a personal approach to these things, we think we got to measure up so that there's room to like us. What keeps us from this trap? What keeps us from being so fragile that anything kind of like hurts us or wounds us? I think it's by focusing on the cross. I think it's by focusing on what Jesus did on the cross. People want to press us to meet their expectations. They, they will create expectations for you for how, how often you call them, how often you interact with them. There's just a, a, all kind of, listen, I, I'm, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but you know people in your life that have put expectations on you, and you go ahead and try to fill those expectations because you want peace. Amen. You want peace no matter what the cost is. There's a little passage in James. I, I didn't give this to Shane, but there's a little passage in James that says, the peace that, the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peaceable. And it's amazing that he put that pure in front of peaceable. 
Because the one thing that we cannot sacrifice for peace is that the integrity of our own lives and being honest with our own lives and being truthful. Truth will always be ahead of peace. And sometimes people will sacrifice truth or honesty for the sake of peace. You can continue to do that, but you will be a slave to that if you do continue to do that. I am kind of more prone to like, if you want my opinion about something, I hope you really want my opinion. Don't ask me my opinion if you don't want to maybe hear something you don't want to hear. I will choose not to answer the question. <laughs> what do they call it? You know, I preach the fifth amendment here. I, I don't, I don't want to. But this is where I think we, we've become so prone to accommodate people's expectations of us that, that we do things that we know we shouldn't do. And we create a culture for that. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ for which the world, the world just pulls toward approval. That's the world. That's how the world works. It's all about candy coating everything so that everybody will like. We, we live in a culture today that everybody wants to like everybody. And all things, and you just have to respect people. Whatever they do with their lives, you're supposed to respect that and, and give them space and, and not comment on their life and on their decisions because that's just being mean. I know I'm not just talking words this morning. We cannot, listen to me, we cannot be pulled into that. We, the people of God, that last song just kind of reverberated through me about the blessing that we're asking God upon our lives and upon our children, upon our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. We are, we are speaking the blessings of God, but those blessings come within the framework of His righteousness. We can't ask God to bless that that is not right with Him. And boy, I can, I can just expand my sermon this morning just on that. But let me get to the last point in this text. See how quick that was. Not quite. This is in Hebrews chapter 2, and then we'll finish this up. The cross is where fear dies. Listen to this. The cross is where, and I know fear has nothing to do with 2020. Zero to do with 2020. And it has zero to do with 2021. Right? This is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus, also shared in their humanity so that by his death, what death? The death on the cross, that he may break the power of him who has the power over death, that is the devil, and free those, watch this, Free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We don't have fear of death today, do we? Who is behind fear of death? Hebrews says that the devil is behind that. And what Jesus did came to free us from that. 
For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. It's the people. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And then he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those, you and I, who are being tempted. Christ shared in our humanity without sin. He shared in all the pressure of humanity without giving way to humanity. He had the frailties of the flesh. He got, he got sleepy. He took a nap on the boat one day. He was hungry. He was tired. He felt the pressure of the crucifixion coming this way. He, he, he exhibited all of the traits of humanity. He, he, he was touched with our infirmities because of what he experienced. Do you think, listen, if you needed anything to help us understand that God cares about our loss and our pain and our sorrow, all we need to do is think about what Jesus went through and the death that he endured. There's people that have a fear of dying in their sleep. Sometimes insomnia, they say, is hardly to do because people are afraid when they go to sleep that they will die in their sleep. And I, th I think there's a therapy for, for that as well. There's a therapy for everything, right? But someone was telling me just this week that they're telling me about their grandmother who was way old enough to be hearing, and, that, and she died in her sleep, which is the most blessed way to go. It's more favorable than what other deaths are. But is there a more horrific death than the death that Jesus experienced? I don't think we can come up with anything that could say what's the worst way to die than to physically die. And Jesus didn't die in his sleep. Jesus didn't die. He died absorbing all of human agony so that you and I, whenever we're faced with stuff that we think is not fair, and God shouldn't let us face this kind of stuff. We need to be reminded that he went to the cross voluntarily. This wasn't done to him. He volunteered this life. He knows the ultimate pain. He knows the ultimate separation. Those people that yelled at him, making fun of him, were really telling the truth. You saved others, you can't save yourself. Praise team can come up. Do you realize they were telling the truth? He couldn't do both. He couldn't come off the cross. He had to save us by staying there. They were actually telling him the truth. You saved others, you can't save. He couldn't save both. He voluntarily gave his life. I felt like the title of this message 2021 ought to be left blank because it should be filled in it should be filled in for what we want to experience I wish I wish I could tell you this year I really do wish I could tell you this year is going to be your greatest year I can't tell you that I don't I don't know I don't know what we'll face this year 